Jesus, we thank you that you are here and that where you are, there is light and life. Your goodness and grace fills us, follows us, envelops us. We're grateful for that. We thank you that you are Lord of all. Our faith is in you. That's why we're here this morning, because our faith is in you, in your goodness and your grace. We love you. We exalt your holy name and we bless you from our hearts. Amen. Amen. Be seated. Linda and I returned earlier this morning from Baton Rouge. If you don't know, we've spent the last week in Baton Rouge in a courtroom. My brother, nearly four years ago, was murdered. And finally, the trial was was happening. So we've been down there for a week. You can imagine what kind of week that's been. And many of you already know, because I know many of you have followed the news, that the trial ended in a hung jury, a mistrial. The DA tells us that they will likely retry the case. They Uh, have to meet and formalize that decision, but it looks like they'll do that. And we're grateful for that, though we, we don't look forward to a repeat of the last week, I can assure you of that. I want you to know how deeply we do appreciate your prayers. We have felt them. We have read and deeply appreciated all the texts and emails. I haven't answered all of them, but we've read them all, and we are so very grateful. It means so much to have a a church family pray for you and let you know they care about you and to know they care about you. That's why we're here this morning. We had a choice, sleep in or come worship with our brothers and sisters in Christ, and it wasn't a hard call. Here we are. This is where we want to be. This This is where we find strength and hope. So over the last week, it's, it's been so evident to me that justice in this world is elusive. And I don't mean just because there was no verdict in this case. I do mean that. I know my perspective is not unbiased, but it strikes me that the evidence was not only compelling, but almost overwhelming. But juries make their call, and this one couldn't come to a definitive call, so here we are. But I'm not just talking about that, and and I'm also not only talking about the fact that whatever verdict comes down, my brother's not coming back. There's a deep unfairness about that, especially to his wife and to his children. I'm talking about that, but more broadly still, about the disorder that, that brought us to a trial like that in the first place. One of the things Linda and I have been confronted with, shocked by, disturbed over, is becoming more intimately and personally aware of a whole underworld that at one time or another we've seen or touched, but it's different when you're in a courtroom and you see it on the witness stand or you see it in a photograph or you hear testimony about it. 
an underworld that is cruel and harsh, and one in which children are born. Children are born. The children in this church are born into families that love them and cherish them, that protect them, that teach them and guide them. The children in this underworld, they don't know any of that. Many of them don't know their parents. They live together in families, and they're not even sure how they're related to each other. We saw that this week. They grow up in communities where drugs and danger and violence is always lurking near. And some of those children, pushed and pulled by the world in which they are reared, some of those children turn into moral monsters. How is that just? I mean, how is that just? So we're in the courtroom and sitting on one side, it, it's pretty much full. It's family and friends who are there to support Dale's wife and his children. That whole section is full. On the other side, the defendant's side, there's nobody, nobody. I think in part that is because of the life this man has chosen to live. I think it's also a symptom of the underworld out of which he came. It speaks powerfully that on one side and the other, there's such a stark difference. How is that just? You, know, you look at the world in which we live and you realize that our best justice is only an approximation. We talk about a just verdict. What's a just verdict in a world like this? I have never been more convinced than I am right now that what we're looking for is the kingdom of God. What we're looking for is the return of Jesus Christ who will redeem the whole creation and set it free from its bondage to futility. To bring the whole creation into the freedom, says the Apostle Paul, the freedom of the children of God. We're not going to see justice until we see King Jesus at his return. That's what we're looking for. That's what our hope is. I'm so grateful to have that hope, grateful to share it with all of you here in this room to be able to worship with you. And so Linda and I wanted to come. I don't know, Linda's sitting over here somewhere. I'm just going to go sit with Linda. I'm not sitting in my usual place because I'm not leading the service. I'm not preaching. Blake's going to preach this morning. I can already tell you he's got an incredible message. But we, you know, we're not wanting a lot of attention, to be honest with you. It's really not all about us. It's not about us at all. We're not the only ones in this room that face trouble and, and heartache. We're not the only ones. And we're all here. We're all here on our journey. We're all here because we believe in Jesus Christ, and he's the one we want to hear about. And it's the word of God that we want to hear. So I want to ask you to join me in praying for Blake as he comes up to break open the word of God.
Heavenly Father, we thank you for your ever-present grace. We thank you that you are good, that your grace is real, and that all is well. Lord, we thank you for the scriptures that give light in a dark place and hope, Lord, for a different tomorrow. Hope, Lord, for a kingdom that will come, that will put all things right. We are so encouraged by that. We ask that you speak through Blake and that as he speaks, that you would open our hearts and minds to receive what you have given him to share. Use him, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Blake. What about now? Yeah, there we go. Good morning. Good to see everybody. Um, yeah, if we haven't met, my name is Blake Sherman. And uh, happy Father's Day. And this passage that we're looking at today, when I looked at it, I said, this doesn't seem like a Father's Day passage. Uh, but it was the passage that we had lined up for this week. And um, I really do think that God is working something by bringing this passage that this week during this time. And uh, just through both services, just sensing that God is weaving something together. Uh, when I looked at this passage on Monday, it's John 9, 1 through 3. So if you have your Bible, you can start making your way there. But when I looked at this passage on Monday, I said, man, this is really just, it's about the problem of suffering. It's about the problem of suffering. And this has been on our calendar for a long time to come to. And and uh, I was texting with a group of guys on Friday night, and I just was telling them, hey, I'm, I'm really burdened right now. I was praying for y'all, praying for Paul and just praying about everything and just thinking about all the hurt and all the confusion and the suffering in the room. And I was telling him how I was burdened by that. And all these guys were responding back with things in their lives and things in other people's lives that they know about. And it was just, it was just a lot to take in just to think about how heavy the pain and the hurt is in a room like this. And, um, all to be said is, I, I want to talk to you about that. I want to talk to you about suffering, and I want to, I'm just praying that God would speak the hope that I know that he has for you. Uh, years ago, I would uh, go on these youth trips to England. We would go every other year to England, and we'd go to RE classes, which are religion education classes, and we'd get in there, and I would say, hey, we're going to talk about uh, Christianity, because they were studying all the major world religions, and I had all these juniors and seniors from Texas up there, and they were all sitting out at these tables. And I would say, I'm going to have all these students come and sit at your table. And I want you to just say whatever you want about Christianity. And I promise we won't get offended. You know, whatever question you have, whatever objection you have, whatever you think about it, just tell us. We just want to talk to you about Jesus. So I'm going to push them all out there. And I just told them, good luck, guys. You got the Holy Spirit in you. You, you can do this, you know. And so they go out there. And we did this every other year for a long time. And... Uh, there's two particular moments that really stick out to me from all the years of doing it. Uh, one time I was up there and helping facilitate with the teacher there and she leans over to me and I, you know, you can tell through the Holy Spirit when God's about to start a conversation and she leans over and she just says, I've always struggled to believe uh, because my mom struggled with cancer for so long. She suffered for so long and how could God allow that? I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know how that all works. And I tried to share hope with her, I shared the gospel with her. 
Another time I, I said, if you get stuck on a question, you can throw your hand up and I'll come sit down at your table and maybe offer a different perspective. And this hand shot up and I went and sat down at the table and there was an English student sitting next to an adult assistant and they were signing to each other in sign language. And the adult assistant looked at me and said, he wants to know why God would make him deaf. I, I don't know. I don't know, but I know that God loves you, that he created you, he has a plan and purpose for you. And I shared the gospel. C.S. Lewis, um, in 1940, wrote a book called The Problem of Pain. It's a brilliant book. And he tries to offer a theory for why pain and suffering exist and how that might work with a good God. How does this all work out? And it's a really good book, it has great lines like pain is God's megaphone to us, like all this really good stuff. But 20 years after he wrote that, his wife passed away and he went into a deep period of grief. And during that time, he journaled about his grief, just trying to process what it was like to go through this grief and trying to make sense of it. And it looks pretty different compared to what he wrote in 1940. Eventually he would come to a lot of the same conclusions, but in the midst of grief, the way he spoke sounded very different compared to the way we usually hear C.S. Lewis. They would publish the book eventually. They published under a different name when he was alive. And then after he passed, they said it was C.S. Lewis. But I wanna read this to you. This is from his journal while he was grieving. He said, talk to me about the truth of religion and I'll listen gladly. Talk to me about the duty of religion and I'll listen submissively, but don't come talking to me about the consolations of religion or I shall suspect that you don't understand. I share all of that, stories about England, stories about Lewis, uh, to really say two things as we dig into this passage. One, I know that if you are in the place of suffering right now, and there are many in this room, I know. Uh, some I, I know because you've told me, uh, some because the spirit really pressed on me that there is suffering in this room. Um, if you're in that place of suffering, I know that this isn't an intellectual problem for you. It's not like I can offer up like, well, theoretically this could happen and you'd be like, oh, I feel okay now. Like that's not what it is. It's a heart level problem. And, and if I was to offer an answer to it, it would just be frustrating, right? It's a heart level thing that's going on. Um, and secondly, my response to you at first will sound very similar to the way that I spoke to that woman talking about her mom with cancer and to that boy that was deaf. Um, if you put out your suffering to me right now and said, why? I would probably still say, I don't know. I don't know. But I do know the God who does. And I wanna look at the word. And I wanna see what God would say to us about this. And just in all humility, we're gonna, we're gonna trek through this passage and ask that Jesus would speak to us with the hope that he offers. All right, so starting off, John 9, one through three. As Jesus went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this has happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. So they're walking along, they see this, this guy that's been blind since birth. So his entire life he's been blind. And they say, who sinned? This man or his parents? You see, this was a common understanding during the time is that this is the way they made sense of evil and sufferings. They thought, 
We have this good God that we serve and we love. So if something bad happened over here, if some kind of tragedy happened, surely there was sin involved that would make it just for them to be going through this. Surely something was going on here that would cause them to go through this pain. You look at this in the book of Job, when Job's going through all of his struggles and all of his tragedies, his friends sit around and they say, what did you do? What did you do to cause this? And by the end of the book, we know that they have no idea what they're talking about. There was a rabbi during this time of Jesus and he taught that there is no death without sin and no suffering without iniquity. Meaning that no death and no suffering comes unless you did something. Unless you had some kind of sin that was connected to it and that's why it came about. And you know, this question not only has been going on there, but it's been going on for so long. I, I think back to when I went to college, the first class I went to is naturalism and theism, a class on philosophy. And the first topic that we discussed is why is a good God allow suffering? This, this question has followed us everywhere because guess what? Suffering is everywhere. Um, we, we just deal with it all the time. The wreckage of life. And you know, Jesus says something really interesting. He says, neither this man nor his parents sinned so the works of God might be displayed in him. Now notice, he doesn't say that they're totally off in the sin and suffering thing or anything like that. He just kind of doesn't really engage that. Because, I mean, in the Bible, we do see that sometimes there are natural consequences to sin. So sometimes suffering can come about like that. So he doesn't just totally negate it, but he says there's a whole other category here that you haven't even thought of. There's a whole other category. And this is the thing is that we like to try and look at suffering and we try to figure out and, and find connecting points and get to the bottom of it, get to the root of it. But Jesus is showing us here that we should be very cautious, very weary about attempting such a feat. That we're not equipped to understand suffering, to understand where it comes from and, and why it's here. Um, it makes me think about, so recently Kara's uh, car broke down and I showed up tried to give it a jump on the battery, didn't work. I checked the battery, battery expired like four years ago. So I was like, oh, go buy a new battery. So I went and got a new battery, installed it, still didn't start. And I thought, I don't wanna take it to the mechanic. I apologize in the last service. I don't know which service he's in, but I'm pretty sure my mechanic is in one of these services. So sorry for that. I didn't wanna take it to the mechanic. So I took it to AutoZone to get one of those code readers that you can plug in. It tells you everything that's wrong with your car. Kara's car had a lot of stuff going on with it. Um, but no matter what code came up, I probably couldn't fix it anyways. Now, the reason I tell that story is that a lot of us, whenever we see sin and suffering or brokenness in our life, we wanna to get to the root, the root of it. We wanna like plug in something, get a code. What do I do here to fix this? That's why we wanna find the cause, like what'd this guy do? So we can get to the cause of it, so we can figure it out, so we can fix this ourselves. But guess what, we're not machines. The darkness in this world and the darkness in your life is far too complex for you to handle. There, the broken world that we live in, there is injustice, just like Dr. Sands was talking about. There's injustice everywhere and we can't make sense of it. But so often what we do is we try to get to the root of it and we get a good guess at how we can fix it. And some of us, we have our ways of trying to go about fixing it. We just keep getting coffee with that friend over and over, talking about the suffering, talking about the pain, hoping that maybe we can get to the root of it that way. Or maybe you just say, I need to double down on scriptures. Or you just consume more and more scripture. And for all the scripture you're reading and you're, you're believing and you're trusting, but nothing's changing. For me, uh, my wife always knows when, I, when I'm going through something because I buy a book. 
three books will all come in on the same topic. And she's like, oh, so you're dealing with this, you know? And I read all these books and I'm trying to get to the root of it. And guess what? At the end of it, it's all the same. I know a lot about the thing, but I don't know what's going on with me because it's far more complex than me just being a machine with a little malfunction. There's more at work. The good news that I can offer you is for all the complexity of the darkness in you and in this world and all the suffering that you encounter, there is a man that knows exactly what you're going through. That's Jesus. He knows your suffering. And let me say this in all humility. He knows your suffering better than you do, which is a, it's a hard thing for us to comprehend. How could the son of God, fully human, fully God, know my suffering? Well, one, he was a man that suffered. He was a man that suffered. He was someone that was rejected by his hometown. His entire family called him crazy. He would weep at the tomb of Lazarus. He was a man of sorrows. In the Garden of Gethsemane, when he was taking on all of the pain and all the sin of the world and getting ready for that burden, his best friends were asleep. And then one of his other friends was out going to betray him. And then on the cross, on the cross, he was taking all of the sin, all of the darkness, all of the shame, all of the injustice, all the powers and principalities of this world upon himself and putting it to death. So here's the thing is you might have suffering in this room. You might have sin in this room, shame. I don't know what it is, but whatever it is, we believe that that was on the cross. And, and, and here's the thing. All of ours was on the cross. And not just this room, but the entire world. And not just the entire world, but the entire history of humanity. All of that pain came upon Jesus Christ. He knows suffering. And not just the moment that you're in right now, but the beginning and the end of it, the entirety of it upon a person. He knows better than we do. One of my favorite passages, and it's, it's I always struck people that this is one of my favorite passages because it's a really dark, gritty scene, but it's Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And as he's praying, as he's preparing to take on the burden, the sin, the darkness, the separation of this world from the kingdom of God, and preparing to take it upon himself, his friends are asleep. And in the Gospel of Luke, it says that they're asleep because of their sorrow, which is really interesting. They, they've been following this guy, Jesus, for a long time, and now they're hearing he's going to be crucified. They're going to lose him, and they're getting anxious. They're getting overwhelmed, and the sorrow becomes so much they can't even stay awake, and their eyes are shut. And I just want you to know, you might be in a place right now where you're like, I just feel, I feel closed off to hope. Blake, I, I know you're saying good things and this is the word of God, but I just feel closed off to hope. I can't receive that. You don't know the darkness in my life. You don't know the pain. And my eyes are shut to it right now. I am asleep to that hope. I just want you to know that God is still awake. He's still awake in the garden. He's still taking on all of that stuff that you can't even bear to open your eyes to see right now. That is the God that we serve. He is well acquainted with our suffering. I was talking with someone the other day and they were telling me how they wish Christians would talk more about suffering because and give it some meaning. And I said, what are you talking about? We talk about it every time we look at the cross. That is what we believe. Yes, we see the resurrection behind the cross, but when we look on the cross, we see all of the darkness, all of the brokenness, all of the injustice of this world upon the cross. And we believe that he put death to death. That's what we believe, Amen. Look at what he says after this. He says that this has happened 
so that the works of God might be displayed in him. This is happens so the works of God might be displayed in him. We could, you know, start getting into the weeds of predestination and stuff like that here. We don't need to do that. Um, this is a really interesting moment because people debate about, is this a miracle story or a pronouncement story? Meaning, is this a story that's just about a miracle or is Jesus revealing something deeper about himself? And the answer is both, right? He's clearly healing somebody, so it's a miracle. But he's also showing us something about himself in that he's been saying over and over that he is the light of the world. And here is a man that does not have light in his eyes and Jesus is coming and he's going to give light to his eyes. It, it's, a, it's a signal. It's like a flare in the sky that the kingdom is advancing and that Jesus is the king. That what we've longed for, what we've dreamed of, it's coming. The kingdom of God is coming and there is a day when it will be fully here. In Revelation, we get a picture of it. In Revelation 21, it talks about how when Jesus arrives fully and the kingdom comes, it says that the old order will pass. The old order passes. That's the broken darkness of this world, the injustice that we now live in, the suffering that you endure every day. That order will pass. And then Jesus sitting on the throne says, behold, I make all things new. I'm making everything new. There will be no more tears. There'll be no more suffering. There'll be no more burdens. I have taken it all upon myself, put it to death, and now I'm making all things new. I'm ushering forth a new kingdom and you are a part of it. It says this, it says that we won't have to wander around in the streets going, God, why don't you hear me? God, do you hear me? What's going on? We won't have to do that because there is no temple in the kingdom that is to come. The temple would house the the presence of God, and that's not gonna be there because God's presence will be everywhere in the streets, everywhere. We won't have a sun or a moon because it says that God is our light. Everywhere we go, God is our light. We, we don't have an ounce of darkness. Darkness has been put to death, and now we live in complete light. That is the gospel that we live into. You know, Dallas Willard, he, he would talk about how you know, whenever you die, he said, the only thing that you take with you, when you step into eternity, the only thing that you take with you is who you become. It's really interesting. The only thing that we'll have with us whenever you enter into eternity will be who you've become. And that struck me because I think sometimes in my mind, I just think that heaven and eternity and the kingdom is gonna be just so crazy and so over the top that I'm gonna step in and just completely forget about everything and be a completely new person. But that's not what he would say. And I think he's kind of right, is that we will arrive with the life that you have lived entering into the life that is to come with the brokenness, the pain and the suffering. And you will arrive and you will see him make it all new. He'll make it all new. And so I, you know, I don't know uh, what it will look like. I don't, I don't, we can all guess, but it wouldn't do us any good to guess. I just know that, you know, anytime you cling to a hope for a long time and you endure through suffering and toil and strife and you're just holding on for a long time and then you finally get that hope, you suddenly look at all that suffering, that pain differently. I don't know how we'll look at it, but I know that it, it won't be without meaning. I know that God will turn it. He'll make it new. He'll do something incredible with it. And we will all be citizens of that kingdom to come. Now, I say all of this to say that there is a day coming when every pain, brokenness, and suffering in this room will be made new. 
Now, clearly there are moments where it is made new in this time. That's what we pray when we say, God, your kingdom come, your will be done. We're saying, break in through the darkness right now. We know it's possible. And that's what happened with this man is that the kingdom broke in and now he could see. Um, But it doesn't always happen. And we would be wise to not try and navigate like, okay, so why isn't this happening? Why is this happening? We'd be wise to not do that. Um, So right now in in this world, we have particular sufferings that you deal with that no one can comprehend except Jesus. There's also particular healings, and we don't really know why it comes, but it comes. Um, But we do know that there will be a day when everyone is healed. All the suffering passes. Timothy Keller put it this way. He said, all of our best days lie ahead of us. And one day, all of our painful days will lie behind us. That's so good. Let me read that again. All of our best days lie ahead of us. And one day, all of our painful days will lie behind us. That is what we live into every single day. Is that no matter how dark today is, we think one day, all of our worst days will be behind us. And I know that my best day is still to come. The day that I'm in the presence of God and he makes everything new, my life is completely transformed and I see the world flood with him making everything new. I look forward to that day. And that's how we live every day with hope. I wanna share one last passage with you. I've been sitting in Colossians uh, for my personal devotion and this passage I was studying this week just jumped out to me as I was preparing. Paul's praying for this church in Colossae and listen to what he says. He says he prays that they would be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience. And giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. I had um, someone come to my office a month or two ago, and she was just sharing with me all this pain, all this frustration, depression, anxiety, all this darkness in her life and just tell me about how tired she was. And so I started sharing the gospel with her. And so she immediately starts thinking of heaven, right? She's thinking of heaven. And she says, look, I know that whenever you die and you go to heaven, you have rest. And you have rest like nothing else. And she said, my fear is that when I die, I won't have that rest. Saying that with tears. I'm afraid that I won't have that rest because I'm so so tired. My heart broke for it, but I just said, I got good news for you. You don't have to wait for that rest. You can have that rest today in Jesus Christ. I know it's a mystery, it's complex, and I don't know how it all works out, but I know that in the brokenness and the pain and the suffering of this world and this life, the kingdom is now and not yet. That he has transferred you from the dominion of darkness to the kingdom of light. That's what we believe. You are a citizen of the kingdom of light. That's not just in the day to come. You'll realize it fully in the day to come. But right now through the Holy Spirit that's been given to you, you live in it right now. It's such good news. I'm just gonna, forgive me, I'm just gonna throw some scripture at you here, but just take it in. This is really important. And In uh, 1 Thessalonians, Paul's writing to the church in Thessalonica and he tells them, hey, live as if you belong to the day because you belong to the day. 
The day is the day that Christ returns. He says, though the world's in night right now, though there's injustice, though there's pain, though there's brokenness, there's all this stuff, you belong to the day. So live as if you belong to the day. And as you cling to the day that's coming, he says later in Romans 5, this is what happens. We can rejoice in our sufferings because suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. Basically what he's saying is, as you cling to the day, cling to that hope, it starts to compound your character into a character of hope. And you know that hope isn't gonna put you to shame because the Holy Spirit in you is saying, I'm making everything new. Look, look around you. Look how he's making everything new. It might not be this thing. It might not be that thing, but you look around and you see he's making it new. You see how he's transforming things within you. And you know, you know the day is coming so you can hold on. And I know that's a hard thing for me to say because I don't know your pain and I don't know your suffering. I don't know what your thing is, but Jesus does. That's why I can say it in confidence. And if you cling to him, this mystery happens. Lewis Smead would put it this way, that joy gets between the splinters. You have these, this, this life of splinters and it's all messed up, but somehow like liquid joy just flows down and gets in the midst of it. And one day when you arrive in the kingdom and he makes everything new, you'll see what he's done. Now, when I was praying for today, um, I got this just this kind of picture in my head as I was really kind of grieved on Friday night thinking about the weight in this room. And the thing is, is like, there's so much suffering in this room and so much that you won't even show to one another. Um, and some of you, you have suffering in your life and it seems so small. It seems so small compared to other people with what they're dealing with, but it's still, it just rips you apart. And some of you, you have huge things going on. And what I want to do now is I just want to, I want to have a time of prayer. And so I would ask uh, the band, you can start going and make your way up. But um, I want to have a time of prayer. And what I ask is really, there's two categories of people that I'm talking about in this room. One, maybe you've been suffering and struggling for a long time and you feel like God right now is just saying, hey, your eyes are shut. Your eyes are shut. But I need you to open your eyes and cling to the hope that I have for you. And maybe we just need to pray over you. And guess what? If that's you, there's nothing to be ashamed about because all of us are dealing with the wreckage of life. All of us have had moments where we say, someone please pray over me. Someone please come over me. I, I need prayer right now. And don't worry about if it's like, this isn't a big deal, or this is a small deal. We'll pray for you. And then some of us, maybe God does wanna break in today. The kingdom does advance and we rejoice when it advances. And maybe it wants to advance right now in your pain and your suffering. And maybe he wants to heal it. We believe in that kind of a God. And so what we wanna do is we wanna pray for you. We wanna ask for healing. And if it doesn't come, we don't need to freak out. Our God is still good and he's still making everything new. Um, so what I would ask is if you do raise your hand and someone comes around you to pray, if, if you wanna just tell them what you need prayer for, it doesn't have to be in depth. You could just say that I would hold on or that I would be healed, whatever you wanna say. Um, but we wanna open up this time during this song for us to pray for one another. So if that's you, if you just wanna... Hey, can someone pray for me about suffering or healing in my life? Can someone just raise your hand if that's you? Okay, we got someone here. Anyone else? Back here. Anyone else right here? I might've missed your hand. 
Um, but if I did, you just throw it up and your neighbor will see it. And guess what? They're a citizen of the kingdom of light. I see you. There's a citizen of the kingdom of light and they can pray over you too. They can call for the kingdom to advance in your life. Pray with me. And as, as I pray, you go around them, you prepare to start praying for them during this song. Heavenly Father, uh, Lord, we love you. And God, we just thank you for um, the gift that you've given us uh, through your kingdom. And God, we ask that right now, we believe in your power and in your goodness. And God, we, we, don't, we know it's not dependent upon our words or our rhetoric or our logic or anything like that to make sense of it. But we know that you are the one that brings healing. And we wanna open this up right now to your power, God. Either right now for people that need to hold on to the hope, to the day that is coming, God, would you just give them a picture, an image of that kingdom and would they walk day by day in that hope, God, just that resolve and that resilience they need. Would you give that to them this morning? And then for others of us, we, we need healing, God, and you wanna do it. And some of us, we have categories that we're like, I don't, I don't wanna step into that. What if it doesn't work or anything like that? But we're not betting on ourselves, we're betting on you. God, and you press in right now and you heal. We believe in your grace and your goodness. In your name, amen.